0: Would you read with me Revelation 21, 1 through 7? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son.
1: All right, let's continue uh, in the word this morning in Revelation uh, chapter 16. And what I want us to talk about this morning is related to some of the difficulty we've been going through in terms of how do we approach our life when life is hard. Now, last week, in last week's message, we talked about in times of trouble, what do we gain from it? How do we have a gain? How do we uh, turn a profit, so to speak, in times of difficulty and trouble? And this morning, I want to talk about what we should think uh, when life is hard. And let me explain what I mean by that. When an athlete is injured, so an athlete is playing their sport, maybe a sport of basketball, and he falls and twists his ankle, and he's unable to continue playing in the game, there's two kinds of trouble, there's two kinds of difficulty that athlete faces. Uh, the first kind is the, the physical pain of the injury. The ankle is hurt, it's swollen, uh, it's turning red. There is the physical pain of the injury itself that is uh, hard to handle. But on top of that, difficulty is all of the things racing through the athlete's minds. Will I ever be able to play again? Is this injury career ending? Am I going to be able to recover in time for the playoffs? All these kinds of things will race through an athlete's mind. So there's two ways that we are experiencing difficulty and hardship. One is the hardship itself, is the, the actual realities of having schedules turned upside down, of... Uh, folks who haven't been homeschooling, who are suddenly homeschooling, going to the store and not having the things that you want to purchase available the way they used to be. And so there's the the realities of life is, is hard, or at least harder than it was uh, before. On top of that is how we think about it, is how we think about it. Is this going to end? When it does end, is it going to end really? Uh, what are the long-term effects? And uh, as Christians, not only that, we, we even complicate it more so because we wonder, where is God in this? What is God up to in this? And so it's really important for us as Christians to say, not only do I experience life being hard sometimes, but what am I to think? How am I supposed to process, excuse me, when life is hard? The Bible tells us to take captive every thought and submit it to the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's a way of saying, Our minds aren't a blank slate. We can train our minds the same way we might train our bodies through physical fitness, is we can teach ourselves what does it look like to think Christianly? How do I process through life in a way that's biblical that also recognizes the realities of life? So we're going to work through a couple of passages of Scripture in Revelation to help frame how we might think about life when life is hard. So what to think when life is hard? Uh, The first thing is this, is the unexpected has been predicted. The unexpected has been predicted. Uh, So I'm going to read Revelation chapter 16, and I have to tell you right up front, unless you've already started reading it, it's a really, really terrible part of the Bible. It's terribly sad, uh, but we need to read it nonetheless. Here's, Here's what it says in Revelation 16, beginning in verse 1. I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels go and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. And here's a summary of what are in the bulls of wrath. The first angel poured out his bull on the earth, and harmful and painful sores broke out on everybody who was worshiping the beast and the the image of the beast and the Antichrist. So everybody who had abandoned and rejected Christ to worship uh, the false Christ had these painful sores break out on them. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bull onto the sea, and it all turned to blood, and every living creature in the sea died. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his blood bowl into the rivers and the streams and the lakes, and they also turned to blood. So the salt water was turned to blood, and now after the third angel, the fresh water was turned to blood. Now if you skip down to verse 8 of Revelation 16, the fourth angel poured, poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. So the, the intensity of the sun became... A Thousand times what it normally was and it created all kinds of difficulty because the Sun was shining uh, So intently look at the end of verse 8 it said in spite of all this they did not repent and give God glory Okay, look at verse 10 the fifth angel poured out his bull on the throne of the beast and and the, the entire kingdom of the beast That is the Antichrist was plunged into darkness. There was no light anywhere it says people gnawed their tongues. They were so in so much anguish over the darkness uh, that they were experiencing. And yet at the end of verse 11, they still did not repent of their uh, deeds. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and it dried up. That way it was going to make it easier for the kings of the east uh, to come out and invade uh, the land that is Israel. And they came out and in fact, uh, some false prophets came out of Israel uh, the beast and and the other um, false uh, leaders at that time. And it says there at the verse 13, three unclean spirits like frogs came out. It's very strange, very unusual. It sounds like a very bizarre uh, scene. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bull into the air and a, loyal, a loud voice came from the temple and it said, it is done. And there were lightning and peals of thunder and a great earthquake like had never occurred before on the earth. And many people died, cities fell, and Babylon the Great fell. What to think when life is hard? As we can see here, the unexpected has been predicted. The life is hard has been anticipated from the very beginning. And we have all read the Bible, and you've read it, and there's times of good times, and there's times of trouble. And we, and we read through these warnings and these understanding that times of trouble and hardship will come. And after a while, we just sort of read them and say, well, yeah, whatever. And what we call that is alarm fatigue. If you're driving along the Oregon coast on Highway 101, especially in the northern coast where 101 runs right along the, the coast, there are signs, especially when 101 is down near sea level, there's these signs and they're tsunami warning signs. And they tell you if you're driving along that road, And there is a tsunami which way you ought to go to avoid the tsunami if you're not sure which way to go during a tsunami a little pro tip for you go uphill don't go towards the ocean go away from it so the tsunami now if you have been on the Oregon coast as often as I have you've driven past these tsunami warning signs a hundred times a thousand times maybe do you even look at those tsunami warning signs anymore no I've never seen a tsunami I'm not worried about a tsunami I don't even know why they wasted the money to put up the signs, we might think. And this is how it comes with the Bible. The Bible tells us over and over and over again, following Christ will be a path of hardship until Christ returns. But every now and then we have spots of not hardship. And so we learn over time, well, maybe hardship isn't a part of the deal. And what we ought to think when life is hard is to recognize that we're still in a world that is... Uh, marred and ruined by the brokenness of our sin and rebellion. Here's a here's a way of summa, summarizing the point. Here, difficulty and hardship is consistent with all the life uh, experience humans will have until the end comes and, and Christ returns. Difficulty and hardship is consistent. It's the it's the parts of life that will happen, and it's not unexpected when hardship happens. In fact, in many ways, it's unexpected when it, when it doesn't happen. And so one of the things we have to think properly about difficulty is not, why is difficulty here? It is actually to reframe how we think of it. God was so gracious that he waited till now. That hardship is a part of the, the normal ins and outs of living on a planet that has been ruined by sin. Now, as I was reading through these bowls of wrath, as they're often called in the book of Revelation, um, you may have noticed a similarity between uh, the, the things that were occurring when these bulls were poured out, as well as what was occurring back in Exodus when the uh, plagues occurred to Pharaoh in Egypt. Do you remember all those plagues? The Nile being turned to river, frogs and uh, flies and hail and thunderstorm and lightning, and of course, darkness. Egypt and this story are very similar, and the reason is this they serve as bookends to the redemptive story of Christ. We have at the very beginning of the story, the plague of Egypt. And you say, well, the plagues of Egypt were really at the beginning of the story. They're in Exodus. But you have to pay attention. Exodus is only the second book of the Bible. It's the the story of God's bringing things to draw people to himself. And what we might look at is the plagues of Egypt and these bulls of wrath as parentheses. Here's what life is going to be like. And in the midst of this life, God is calling us to be his people. God is calling us out of uh, this world into his kingdom. And what we can mistakenly think is, well, the goal is to avoid hardship. But as long as we're between Egypt and Revelation, difficulty is a part of the story. Now, that's not good news. None of us want difficulty. None of us want hardship. And, And we shouldn't wish for it. We shouldn't hope for it. But we ought to have a way of thinking about it that when it occurs, it's not so foreign to us. We say, well, no, the Bible is quite clear about this. Hardship and difficulty is a part of the story. This is, in fact, a part of God's redemptive story, his story to draw people out of their own sin to come to him for uh, forgiveness through repentance. There's no such thing in the world or in the Bible as senseless violence. Everything occurs according to God's purpose that he might use it to draw to himself a people So when we when life is hard when we experience hardship and difficulty We we should have a way of thinking about it biblically that says well this hardship is expected It's not unexpected In fact the long stretches of peace and prosperity you and I often feel We might be better informed to understand those as the exceptions and understand, well, what is God doing those, during those times of peace and prosperity to prepare me for the realities that we're not home yet? Another way of thinking about this. Say, well, when is the hardship going to end so life can get back to normal? And, and when we read scripture, we have to have our minds turned over just a little bit. Here's what's funny. Is we have been born into a world that's fallen and broken, And so our our palate, our tastes aren't properly attuned to the best of things. And so what you and I want is for the coronavirus to go away so we can get back to life as it usually is. And what God wants us to do is think even life as usual is not the way it's supposed to be. Even life that's normal is not the kingdom of God. Even life the way we normally walk through it, even when our routines aren't upset and changed and messed up is not the same as the kingdom of god which is fully yet to come maybe a way of thinking about this is saying this the best times of our life are lame compared to the glories of the kingdom of god which is still to come look at verse 15 of revelation 16 look at verse 15 revelation 16 this is right after the sixth bowl has been poured out the seventh bowl is yet to come and here's what it says behold I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go naked and be seen exposed. And what this is calling for us to do is regardless of the situation, whether in hardship or in times of peace, is to be ready for the return of Christ. That regardless of what's going on, our our mindset should be a mindset of readiness, knowing Christ can return at, at any time. And you say, well, how can he come like a thief? Everybody can look at these judgments that are going on and and know he's going to return. But read the passage carefully. Most people aren't paying attention to his return. Most people, even in the midst of that trouble, refuse to repent and acknowledge that he is king and in fact don't want him to return. So he is calling us, even in this moment, to say whether things continue to be difficult the way they are or whether things go back to normal, the question I must ask myself, what I need to think when life is hard is, what does readiness look like in this moment for Christ to return? Many of us are working very hard to be ready for what life might be like if the current stay-home order stays in place for a month or two months or longer. But what does it look like to be ready for the return of Christ even in this moment? What does it look like to be ready for the return of Christ if this moment should end and and life should go back to normal? He's going to come like a thief. And the Bible calls us, even in times of difficulty, to think, what does readiness look like like right now? What does being busy about the the king's business look like even now in this uh, moment? What to think when life is hard. First thing, the unexpected has been predicted. Difficulty, uh, one of the ways we react to difficulty, especially as, a, as Christians, well at least I do, I don't know if you do, is we might say, well where is God? God is, is not here in this difficulty. Where is God during this situation? We can feel like God is absent. Or, or worse yet, we may feel like God is present, yet he doesn't care. God is apathetic. He's, he's here, but he doesn't give a rip about the difficulty we're facing. But when we have our minds molded by scripture, when we have our minds transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to understand the difficulty is part of God's close presence. And the hard things of life is part of the grace of drawing cl- us closer to Jesus. That the, the situations you and I face on a day in and day out b- uh, basis aren't unexpected. In fact, they have been predicted and they're one of the primary ways God brings him brings us by his grace closer to Jesus. So what do we think when life is hard? This has been expected. And as Christians, we can have our minds set on Christ and say, "Not difficulty is expected. All right, let's keep going on because that's too depressing. Uh, How do we find hope? Just because the Bible says that difficulty is true doesn't make it any easier. It's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, the Bible said life is going to be hard. That's very helpful, Greg. I really appreciate that. Glad we uh, logged in uh, this morning. So How do we find hope? Just because the Bible is true and acknowledges that life will be difficult. How do we find hope even in the midst of that? So the next thing, what do we uh, think when life is hard? We need to remember that Jesus is more powerful than we have ever imagined. So skip down to Revelation chapter 19. I'll leave you to read Revelation 17 and 18 on your own time. And uh, no one can tell us they don't have time to read their Bible right now. We're all stuck at home. So you can read 17 and 18 uh, on your own time. Revelation 19, what do we think when life is hard? Jesus is more powerful than we ever uh, could have imagined. I'm going to read most of chapter 19 um, uh, right now. So, So buckle up. Here we go. After I heard what seemed to be, after this, I should say, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, and they were crying out. Alleluia, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his saints. Once more, they cried out, Alleluia, and the smoke goes up from her forever. Verse four, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they said, Amen and Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying this, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And they were crying out this, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God and the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then I fell down to worship at His feet. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this is the grand thing we're all waiting for, the wedding supper of the the Lamb. That time when the body of Christ, the people of God, are joined with Christ in celebration, in joy of his complete victory over all of his enemies. When that time comes where finally all of the stuff of this life passes away and we step into the power and beauty of the kingdom of God forever. And what do we need to think when life is hard now? He is more powerful than we could have ever imagined. Uh, This is a silly uh, way of thinking about it, but here here we go. You're driving your car and your car breaks down. And so what do you do if you're like me? You call a tow truck. The last thing I'm going to do is open the hood of my car. There's a thing under there that I know what to do with. Uh, So break down, you call the tow truck. So once you call the tow truck, what's the job? What's your job after that? Called the tow truck, what's the job? Well, if you've ever had to call the tow truck before, you know the job. It's to wait for the tow truck. When is the tow truck going to come? You have no idea when the tow truck is gonna come. I mean, they're gonna tell you it's gonna be 20 or 30 minutes. What you wanna do is multiply that times 10 usually. Because there's gonna be an accident, there's gonna be something coming up, and you're gonna be waiting there for a while. Now, what you might think is this. You know what, while I'm waiting for the tow truck, to shorten up the distance of the tow, I'm going to push my car until he gets here. Does this sound like a good idea? It sounds like a terrible idea. Why? Because the job after you've called the tow truck is to wait for the tow truck. That's the whole job. The whole job is to patiently wait for the tow truck to come. And you say, but it's boring. I mean, it's stuck on the side of the road. The air conditioner's on. It's hot. Or the kids are screaming and crying. I don't know, whatever it might be. You say, But still, the job is to wait uh, for the tow truck. And what we see here is the payoff for the waiting in Revelation 19. The whole job is to wait for the groom. And the bride is waiting. And the way we wait, the way we patiently endure for the groom is to have our hearts set on him and on his things, regardless of what life is doing here now. Some days it's going to be great. Some days it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be prosperous. It's going to be enjoyable. In those moments, we wait for the groom by patiently enduring and setting our hearts on him. Other times, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. And in those moments as well, we patiently wait for the groom, enduring what God brings to us until his final victory is denounced. The whole job is to be ready for when the groom shows up. And look what it says down in verse eight of Revelation 19. It was granted her... To clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, what this shows us is while we're waiting for him to return, we're preparing for his return by dressing in a manner fitting of a wedding. And the fine linen is obedient, a devotion to the king until the king returns, not being distracted with the things of our own agenda but instead of having our hearts set on the things of the king until he returns, having our hearts set on holiness, saying no to sin, having our hearts set on worship, putting him first in our life, having our hearts set on humility like he did, and, and serving others instead of serving ourselves. Then when he returns, our hearts and will be prepared well to enter into the wedding of the Lamb. There's another wedding in Matthew 25. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 25, verse 1. This is a great parable uh, that is worthy of consideration as we think about the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. So we're setting up a contrast. Five foolish, five wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them but when the wise uh, ones went, they took flasks of oil with their lamp. So they had their lamp. They had a little oil reservoir. But they also took a flask of spare oil with them. And they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. And at midnight, much later than they ever would have anticipated this groom coming, which was normal in those times, uh, they were called out. The, the groom is here. And all the virgins rose and they got ready to light their lamps because in order to go into the, to the wedding feast, you had to have a lamp. But the foolish ones were out of oil. And they asked the wise ones for their oil, and the wise ones said, listen, we can't split it. There won't be enough for any of us. Go get your own. So the contrast here is the wise uh, virgins were prepared to wait. When they came to wait for the groom, they said, this is going to be a wait. Whereas the foolish virgins were not prepared to wait. They wanted him to come right now, and if he didn't come right now, they weren't going to make it. They were not prepared to wait. Waiting was not a part of their... factor. And what we learn from this uh, parable of Jesus is waiting for Christ, being prepared to patiently endure the stuff of this life, is a part of preparing ourselves for that great wedding. Being prepared to wait. Having patience that's built on this is unexpected for us, but it's expected for him. In fact, in order to wait, his return must be later than we expected. Think about this way. You go to the doctor's office, and they have what, what do they have where you, you go? They have a waiting room. And you sit down, and, and maybe somebody will come out to you and say, uh, are you waiting? And you might reply this way. Say, no, I'm not waiting. I'm early. Because most of us have in our minds, I'm not waiting until the doctor is late. Now that the doctor is late, well, now I'm waiting. I've got places to be. So that it's assumed in the waiting that it's longer than we expected, and we must be prepared for it to be longer than we expected. And we prepare ourselves for the return of the groom by being prepared in our hearts and minds to endure patiently the things that this life is going to bring. Some good days and some difficult days. And when, when life is hard, we need to recognize the groom that is returning is more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And that gives us the stuff in our soul to endure and obey even now. How is is he powerful? Go back to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, we just read about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then beginning in verse 11, there's a a change in topic that seems jarring uh, to you and me. So there's a description of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then in verse 11, it says this, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a, a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So that tells us who it is. Who is it? That's Jesus. And the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen with him, and they're following him on white horses and. And they come on the armies of the false prophet and the, and the Antichrist, and, and they destroy them. They are taken captive and thrown into captivity for all of time. And the Bible tells us the sword that is the word of his mouth destroys his enemies. So this is Jesus coming in power. This is the Jesus that the people were hoping for when he came 2,000 years ago. They wanted Jesus on the white horse to conquer on all his enemies, but he came in meekness to bring salvation through a a humble cross. So finally, at the end of the story, finally in the book of Revelation, the great hero emerges. And all of those whose faith is in him will find their great hero more powerful than they could have ever imagined. From the fall of mankind in Genesis 3, until he appears in this white horse, God has chosen to reveal himself in bits and pieces in his word So we could get glimpses of him that we might have faith to believe he is the all-powerful God Finally at the end of the time when the horse comes out and the rider comes out The time for faith has passed the time for seeing has come And the great rider will ride to his victory and we will ride with him in a victory that cannot be described It's a it's a complete victory the those who stand opposed to him have no chance There is no casualty on the great victor's side. There is only casualties on the enemies of Christ. This is his great victory. So I might ask you a question about chapter 19. What kind of person plans his wedding party and says, let's get the whole thing planned out, but before we really get going, I just need to conquer the world? What kind of person plans a party and says, okay, everything's set up, good. Okay, I'm just gonna go conquer the world real quick, be right back. Don't get started without me. What kind of person can do that? Well, the only kind of person who can do that is a winner, is someone who never loses, someone who has so much power and so much authority that no one knows his name besides himself. And when he rides into battle, there is no chance to lose. The only kind of person who can plan a party before the battle is a person who never loses, and this is our Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to think when life is hard? We're following that guy. That I don't care what the news says tomorrow, there is a day coming when the horse is going to come down with the rider on it and COVID-19 can take a seat. There is a time coming when all of the fears, are we going to have enough? And all of the fears of when is life going to be back to normal are going to take a seat. And we're going to say, I don't want life to go back to normal. I want life with the rider on that horse and I want it to never end. What do we think when life is hard? He is more powerful than we ever could have imagined. How does that work today? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Again, I'm going to read a large section of scripture, uh, so follow along with me if you are able. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? sounds like he's read Revelation 19, but it hadn't been written yet when he wrote this, but he got it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The answer is no one. Who is to get condemned? Again, the answer is no one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Even now, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long and we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he is framing the victory of Christ for us here. He sent Christ and got victory Done. And now Christ intercedes on our behalf day in and day out. And if you're like me, we need the intercession. Who's going to condemn you for what you did yesterday? No one. Christ is interceding on behalf of you. So what does life look like between the cross and intercession and the great wedding day of the lamb? For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And we say, well, that doesn't sound like victory. Yes, it does. Read verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are we to think when life is hard? He is more powerful than we could ever have imagined. The victory, victory is absolutely certain. We participate with him in this victory when even during the tough stuff of life, we say, nothing can separate me from him because he's making intercession for me. And the worst thing that can happen for me is I can punch out of this life through death and join him in the kingdom of God forever. We are victors in suffering because he has had victory over all things and his victory in us is absolutely certain. Certain, I should say. So how we see him today, what our eyes of faith allow us to see about Jesus today will determine what our confidence looks like during difficulty. So our our confidence gets real wobbly when we see Jesus as a pansy. However, when we see Jesus the way that the Bible describes him, as the creator and sustainer of the universe, the victor who is going to come and achieve complete victory, then we can even enter in times of difficulty like we have today with complete confidence. He's powerful, so therefore you and I can have peace. We can have calm. We can have grace. We can even have rest. What do we think when life is hard? Number one, the expected has been predicted secondly he is more powerful than we could have ever imagined and finally look at revelation uh, 21 what to think when life is hard the kingdom of god is better than anything else revelation 21 and again i'm going to read quite a bit of it uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll finish up with with this section then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Excuse me. Death. Will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse five Behold, I am making all things new. What to think when life is hard? The days to come, the kingdom of God revealed is better than anything else. Now, you can buy a car from a car company called the a, a McLaren a Car Company. And you can buy a custom car. Now, usually, I think these start out about a million dollars. So if you've got a million bucks to spare, uh, you can order a custom-made McLaren. What do we mean by custom-made? You can have the car with any kind of features you want. You can change the body style uh, if you want. Uh, you will go to the McLaren factory, and they will take your measurements, and they will make the driver's seat to fit you and you alone. They will custom-make this car just for you. And what we need to understand about the kingdom of heaven is it has been custom made just for you, just for the people of God. What we need to think about and remember when life is hard, that God is bringing to us a kingdom that reveals his glory, but we need to also recognize that what will be there, what will be true there is everything you and I have ever been made for. Everything you have ever yearned for, everything you have ever desired for has its home there. And here, they're fleeting. It's it's hard to wrap our finger around it and say, well, it feels like there should be more than this life. And the answer from the scripture is there is supposed to be more than this life. And where you're going is better than you could have imagined. And where we're going is made just for us. Verse 4 of Revelation 21, look what it says again in verse 4. He'll wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. No more mourning, crying, or pain. Former things are gone. We talked about those parentheses of Egypt and the plagues in Egypt and those seven bulls of wrath. Now we have another set of parentheses. We have the curse in Genesis 3. What happened because of our sin? And now that curse here in verse 4 is all unwound. It's all undone because of the faithful work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Everything we have caused through our sin is wiped away. Everything is made new. And the curse we caused through our sin is completely unwound. It's completely broken. Everything is made whole. All the comforts we have always yearned for are granted. All of the old ways are gone. Look how the new Jerusalem is described in verse nine. He says this, let me show you the New Jerusalem. He carried me away, and here's this great city. And the city, in verse 11, says, has the glory of God. It's got great high walls. It has 12 gates, has 12 foundations. And it says in there, it has no need for the sun or the moon because it will be illuminated by the presence of God himself. It says there is no need for a temple there because God will dwell with his people. We will have safety, we will have rest, we will have beauty, and most importantly, we'll have the the presence of God for all of time with no separation between us and him. This is better than anything we could have ever imagined. Turn with me quickly, if you will, to John uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse one. Or you could turn with me not quickly. There is no way for me to know if you're turning there quickly or not. John chapter 14, beginning in verse one. Here's what he says, Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled, Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going." So Jesus is saying, I am going to my Father's place. The kingdom of God that one day will be revealed And it's made just for you. And when we get there, we are going to say, oh, I see, this is my place. He is going to make it so that when you walk into that place that is your place, whatever that might look like, you are going to tell that your place has been prepared for you and he had you in mind. It's not a barren apartment that needs to be decorated. You're going to walk in and you can tell that your Savior was thinking of you and the way you were made the way he redeemed you and made you when you get to that place. So when you get to that place, we have said it this way before, you're going to walk to that place and you are going to say, I feel like I am more at home than any home I have ever lived in. This is the place that every place I went home to, That this is the place I was actually thinking of. I thought I was home there at that house I bought. I thought I was home there when I went home for the holidays But in fact, now that I am in this place, I realize that feeling was really me yearning for this place. This is my home. My father's house prepared just for me. And when things are hard, we need to remember that that place is better than any place else, that there is nothing like it. All right, last uh, verse, and then we will conclude. Luke chapter 19. One last thing to remember as we uh, think about this. Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 11. And of course, my uh, computer is not going to work, so I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 19 in this newfangled Bible they made uh, that's got pages you can turn in it. It's pretty amazing. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus told them a parable. A man of noble birth went to a distant country, uh, and he was going to be appointed king. So he called his ten servants together. And he gave them ten minas, and he said, "Put this to work for me." And uh, so he was made king, and he came back to check in on his workers. And the first one came to him and said, "Sir, here's your mina. It earned ten more minas than the one ten you had given me." And he says, "This, well done, my good servant, because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing. Take charge of ten cities." The second one came and said, "Sir, your five minas I've turned into five more." And he says, "Well done, well done, my." Good and faithful servant, you can take charge of five cities in my uh, kingdom. And another servant came, and he was afraid of the master, so he had just buried it. And his master was very upset with him that he didn't uh, properly steward what had been given to him. And this is the point we're saying here. We are going to a place that Christ has prepared for us, but we get to, through patient endurance of the difficulties of this life, have an influence on our experience there. Heaven is going to be fantastic for everyone. The kingdom of God is going to be the most fantastic place we have ever been for all of eternity. However, we have an opportunity here in times of faith to invest in our future through patient endurance now. What we have been made for is to worship God by faith today and experience reward in the future. Because we know the future is certain and good, we can endure hardship today because it is better than anything else. What to think when life is hard? The unexpected has been predicted. The Bible is honest with us. Life is difficult. And life is going to bring suffering and hardship. And there will be times of grace and peace and kindness. There will also be more times of difficulty in our life. And what we ought to recognize is the Bible understands what's going on and has properly described the trajectory of the human condition. It's one where we need to endure with Christ patiently, even though life brings us the unexpected. But we have to also recognize that Jesus is risen and he is the conquering king and he is coming back in in victory. And because of that, we can have confidence in this life. Because of that, we can have confidence in this life to serve God with our whole heart and with our whole mind, because we know when he returns, we will participate with him in his victory. We're going to celebrate Easter in just a couple of weeks. And because Christ is risen, we can have confidence, even in the most difficult of times, to trust in his return. And we can also pray along with the apostle John for his soon return. Finally, this the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is better than anything we could possibly imagine. It's really better than anything else. And we must recognize you were made for something glorious. In you is a yearning for something great. In you is a, a yearning to matter, a yearning for significance and importance and even glory. And you can feel it in your soul. And It's in there. And the reason it is there is because you are to find your glory with the king of glory when he returns. Let's not take a cheap counterfeit of glory here and now here we can humbly endure with obedience the hardship God brings us so that one day we will experience uh, the glory of his victory through faith